Today, in honor of the new year, turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bible. Again, we're, we're uh, entering a new year, and it always has that kind of a sense of a new beginning, a fresh start. At least, I think a lot of people view it that way. I mean, I realize nothing's really changed except the calendar, but it's great to have that idea that, hey, here we go again, a new year, let's work on our vision for the future in our own personal lives as well as in our church. People make their New Year's resolutions. Most of those are rarely kept, right? At least for not for very long. But I think perhaps the most important issue we can look at, we're living in a world where there's a tremendous amount of turmoil, wouldn't you say? And recently it's, it's really been ratcheting up with what's happening in the Middle East and other parts of the world. Um, Ed mentioned Texas. And thank God for the, uh, the security team in that church that was uh, concealed carry, trained, armed, ready to go. Saved a lot of lives. And yet, even as we see those good things happening, there's a concerted effort to take more and more of our personal freedoms away from us. We've been kind of spoiled. There's probably been no nation in the history of the world that has experienced the kind of personal freedom and opportunity that we've had here in the United States of America. And the reason we've had that was because of the biblical foundation for our nation. But we know there's a, a vast, massive effort going on to take all that away from us. The good news, nobody can take away our salvation. Nobody can rob our souls from us. But I think perhaps the number one issue facing most of us today, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, and it's not by accident, it's been a strategy of the enemy to systematically undermine the human race, and a lot of it's happened in the past hundred years. That's another reason why I believe we are in the end times, we're in the last days, because of the acceleration of knowledge, of technology, and all these things that have expanded so massively and so rapidly, and it's expanding more and more rapidly all the time. And you see, when man makes so-called progress, there's always a backlash, there's always a downside. Because we are a race, the human race, steeped in sin, and corrupted and polluted and so even when we operate in the image of God, God is the creator of all things, and he's given man the ability to create many amazing, wonderful, and beautiful things. But without God in the picture, those amazing, beautiful things, man always manages to somehow corrupt them. And so that's happening at this very moment. Even though it seems like so much progress, so-called progress, has been made on planet Earth, that same progress is what is leading ultimately and eventually to the downfall of the human race, except for the fact that God is going to intervene at the last moment and rescue His people at the return of Christ. But right now we're seeing those birth pains that Jesus talked about. He said in the last days it would be like a woman in labor 
And if you know what happens with a woman in labor, uh, as she begins to go into labor, the labor pains get closer and closer together and they get stronger and stronger. And so that's what we're seeing right now uh, in virtually every area of our lives with the so-called natural disasters, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, and so forth, and also in the, in the, uh, the geopolitical realm with these increasing military conflicts and so forth, the latest being the attack on the American embassy in Baghdad, the subsequent assassination of Soleimani, which I believe was necessary and appropriate. Nobody should, like war, enjoy war, and hopefully we will not be entering into a war, but sometimes those wars are unavoidable. And God's people, the Israelites, had to fight some wars to protect what God had given them. But I think the one, number one issue, perhaps facing everybody, believer and unbeliever, is this issue of anxiety, stress, worry, fear. Would you agree? I mean, we have more and more people on uh, medications for anxiety, for depression. And again, talk about the, the backlash or the side effects a lot of these medications that are designed to help people with these conditions result in those conditions getting worse. Only God has the ability to heal, to restore, with no side effects, no bad side effects. And so anxiety, stress, worry, fear, has just gripped so many people in our world today. I, mentioned, I talked recently about the fact that as believers... We need to be focusing on the joy of the Lord. God wants us to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, wrote the Apostle Paul. Rejoice in all things. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the enemy's goal is to rob us of that joy. Because without that joy, first of all, we can't enjoy the benefits of being a child of God. And secondly... We can't impact others with the gospel of Christ if they do not see the joy of the Lord in us. They're going to say, why would I want to be like you? You're just as bummed out as I am, maybe more so. Let me read to you from Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? And we know that there are many people in this world that have that concern. Third world countries, food is, is very hard to come by. But let's read on. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? These basic fundamentals of life. Jesus is saying, don't worry about them. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. In other words, that's their major focus. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. How many of you believe that God knows everything we need? Fully aware. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That sound like a promise to you? Yes. Does God ever break a promise? No. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. By the way, many of the nations in which these things are serious problems, now, not all, but many, many of the nations in which these issues, the basic fundamentals of life, are serious problems, are nations that are operating under pagan belief systems. I want to point that out first of all. 
People are always quick to blame God for every problem in the world. God's not the problem, we are. And any nation that embraces paganism, false gods, false worship, I guarantee you sooner or later they will crash and burn. A friend of mine years ago gave a teaching on the impact of evangelism on the world and he talked about this concept, uh, I think it was taught in some seminary or, or other, but it's called redemption and lift. And it's a provable thing that whenever a group of people, a church, a community, a nation, by the way, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Whenever a group of people, a community, a nation embraces the God of the Bible and seriously begins to worship Him and follow Him, there's a lifting process that takes place. Their lives get better because they've been enlightened by the Spirit of God. They find out how to better take care of themselves. They, they develop a, a biblical, godly work ethic. Redemption and lift. When a group of people are redeemed, there is a lift. There's an improvement in their quality of life. It's a fact. If you don't believe me, research it for yourself. And that happens when any individual group of people, community, nation, seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. None of us do that, do we? And as I mentioned, this downward spiral even as man supposedly progresses, I'm sure even in Jesus' day it was an issue or he wouldn't have brought it up. Don't worry about tomorrow, but I'm telling you that in this time we're living in, the last days, it's a much greater issue even because we're bombarded day and night with information. Can you say information overload? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that even though we are living in an ever-increasingly chaotic world and what man calls progress is not necessarily progress and a lot of it is fueled by the works of the flesh, fleshly desires. We know that even the prince of darkness has his hand in there, in the mix. Lord, we ask you to help us to, if we can make one New Year's resolution for 2020, that it would be to cast off anxiety, fear, doubt, worry, and really learn to trust you the way you would have us to trust you. The way you deserve to be trusted. So we ask you to bless this study now in Jesus' name. Amen. So therefore, do not worry. There, the therefore is therefore. Uh, it's in light of the examples Jesus has given concerning how God provides for even the most insignificant members of creation. We look back to verses 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Not according to PETA. But according to God, we are. We are the crown of His creation. Jesus died for us, the human race. The rest of creation also benefits from that sacrifice, but it was for men and women, boys and girls, that Jesus died on the cross. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
Jesus is saying there are some things that you can't change no matter how hard you try. There's no sense worrying about it. Your height is your height, and there are other things like that as well. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus knows that we have a tendency as human beings to get very caught up in the minutiae of life. And that's the enemy's strategy again, to get us focused so much on the unimportant, insignificant, trivial things that we can't focus on the important things like seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's why so often you see, we talk about third world countries, deprived people groups. Oftentimes you find the deepest believers, the strongest believers with the deepest spirituality and connection to God in these places because they have nothing else to rely on. It's a, again, it's a mixed blessing. It happened to ancient Israel. When they were having to fight for their lives all the time, they were really close to God. Remember King David running from Saul. But then he finally got the throne. Saul was dead. David built his palace. All of his enemies had been subdued. And then along comes Bathsheba. In his middle age, when he'd conquered all of his enemies and he was prosperous and living in his palace, that's when he got into trouble. It happened in ancient Israel. It's happened in modern America. God blesses us because he loves us, but he knows ultimately we won't be able to handle the blessings. Because we're weak, we're sinful, and prone to wander, as the old hymn goes. Verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles are those who don't know God. The non-believers. Because you and I are grafted into the vine, are we not? So even though technically, I guess, ethnically, biologically, we might be Gentiles, but we're really part of Israel now. The Gentiles seek all these things. They don't know God, the creator, the provider. So they're constantly consumed with seeking after physical needs and pleasures. Because they don't understand that if they seek God first, He will take care of them. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God made you. He knows what you need. And like any good father, and by the way, He's the best of all fathers. He's the Father of all fathers. He has every intention of seeing to it that you have what you need. But one of the big problems for us, we think we know what we need, Right? I need that new color TV. I need that 65 inch. 50 just ain't cutting it no more, baby. <laughs> God's got me right where he wants me. My house was built with a space over the fireplace for a flat screen TV, but it won't accommodate anything bigger than 50 inches. My wife praises God every day. If it was up to her, it would be 50 millimeters. <laughs> I need. 
There's a funny movie called What About Bob with Bill Murray. He's in constant therapy. He's just a total basket case. And then he meets Richard Dreyfuss, who's this psychiatrist who wrote a book called Baby Steps. So Bill Murray says, okay, I'm going to start taking baby steps. But at one point, Bill Murray, he's having a tantrum. He can't get the help that he wants. And he starts going, I want, I want, I need, I need. But we don't ever do that, do we? See, we think we know what we need. Who do you think really knows what we need? God. And we get confused because we might pray for something or hope for something or wish for something and we feel like God did not come through. And I know a lot of people get mad at God and they blame God and say, well, God said to ask and you'll receive, but I asked and I didn't receive. So I don't believe in him anymore. I'm mad at him. But if we really know and believe that God knows what we need, if we ask for something that we don't need, God knows better than we do. Perhaps that thing we think we need might really be harmful to us. What do you think? A lot of times when God doesn't answer our prayers, He's protecting us. And even in the garden, you'll remember Jesus said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. Even Jesus, though He is God, as in His human incarnation as the Son of God, he submitted to the will of the Father. And that led to his total physical destruction and crucifixion on the cross. And he knew that was coming. How many of us could do that? It's one thing to say, okay, Lord, your will be done. But what if you knew that that meant going through what Jesus went through? Would you be willing to do that? I'm, I'm not ready to say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I want to be able to do it if that's what's required. But that's no easy task. That's no easy task. Verse 33. What we're leading up to here by the end of the message is how to shed and avoid anxiety in our lives. Seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What things? These minuscule insignificant, at least from God's point of view, food, clothing, what we're going to drink, just the basic fundamentals of life. Seek first the kingdom of God. These things will be added to you. You don't have to be consumed with those things. Those should not take up the bulk of your prayer time, your communion with God. Seek first. And if we listen to Jesus, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, he will help us to set our priorities in order. That's something we all could probably get better at, don't you think? That's something that probably should require constant maintenance to keep our priorities in the proper order. And if we seek Him first, if we seek Him last, but then by the time we get around to seeking Him, we've probably already made a big mess, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Again, I don't know about you guys. I'll admit that I fall miserably short in this area. That doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. God wants us to move forward, to move on, to keep trying, to draw near to Him. Seek first the kingdom of God. The number one priority for believers should be, and we call this kingdom life, when you're living in that mode, 
seeking first his kingdom. That's kingdom life. There's an old song that we used to sing. We'll probably dig it up again by Danny Daniels, Walking in the Kingdom. Kingdom life. The number one priority of our life as believers should be seeking the kingdom. And what does that mean? The exact opposite of what a lot of people will tell you. Oh, good health, financial prosperity, blah, 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 blah. No. Seeking first the kingdom means seeking after spiritual things, eternal things. All the things laid out by Jesus in this chapter 6, if you want to go back and read it on your own time. The spiritual things. His kingdom and His righteousness. Why do we need to seek His righteousness? Because we have none of our own. How do we obtain that? Obviously, the initial starting point is being born again, accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, being washed and cleansed from your sins, being born again. But to maintain that, to walk in His righteousness, to be clothed in His righteousness, that requires daily confession of sin. Because I'm like 99.99999% sure that there isn't one of us here today that doesn't let one day go by without sinning in some way. What do you think? Do you think anybody in this room has ever had a perfect 24 hours without sin? Sometimes we even sin in our sleep. My wife definitely thinks I'm sinning when I snore at night and keep her awake. Well, sometimes we have dreams we wish we wouldn't have had, right? Seek His righteousness, daily confession, repentance. Not only confess that sin, but repent. Say, Father, I don't want to do that again. Please help me. Help me to turn from that sin and follow after you. Prayer goes hand in hand with the confession and the repentance. Bible study. Paul talks about the fact that the Word of God has a washing effect on us. It cleanses us. It washes the dirt off. Just like Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. We're bombarded with so much garbage every day, but that time in the Word will wash you and cleanse you from that. James says it's like looking into a mirror. I'm sure most of us here today look in the mirror every day, for better or for worse. But you don't want to go out with broccoli in your teeth, right? Ladies, you don't want to go with your uh, dress tucked into your pantyhose, right? You ever, you ever seen that one? It's embarrassing, isn't it? And it's like you want to tell her, but you're kind of afraid. It's, she needs to know, but I'm not sure I'm the one to tell her. So we look in the mirror, make sure everything is as tidy as possible. The Bible is our spiritual mirror. James says, hey, if you look into that mirror and you walk away and nothing changes, you know, you need to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But the Bible is our spiritual mirror. And then the promise here, if we seek first his kingdom, so first is a big word. There's no uh, provision here for, well, after you do everything else, you know, if you get time and you might want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This, this promise is not connected to that. It's connected to putting him first. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things, these material things will be added to you. Whereas the world sees material needs as being of primary importance. 
God says the spiritual things are of primary importance, and if we focus on the spiritual, he'll take care of the physical. I think it was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, who said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully committed or sold out to him. Because it's no easy task. But the more we are able to do our part to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the more we can experience him taking care of the physical. I was very blessed at a very early age. For one thing, I think I was kind of crazy. And I don't want any comments from the peanut gallery. I know what you're thinking. You were crazy? It should be in the present tense. God did things in my life to prepare me for my calling. I've shared before how my parents died when I was young. My dad died two months before my 12th birthday, so I had to grow up pretty fast. And so I became pretty independent, self-sufficient, and so forth. And then when we started performing Christian music as a ministry for evangelism and also for edification of the body of Christ. But um, we just jumped in the van with no money or anything and just took off. Started doing concerts wherever we could, playing. And we did that for seven years. And during that time period, we learned how to to live totally by faith. Kind of like a missionary, except we didn't really have a group, most missionaries, when they go out, they arrange support first. We didn't have that. Now, wherever we would go, they'd take an offering. Sometimes they'd give us a fixed amount for giving a concert. And sometimes there wasn't much to eat. Some, you know, hamburger helper, uh, Kraft macaroni and cheese, which back then I think was about 19 cents a box. But I'm telling you, it's probably the most valuable experience I ever had. Because I just loved God, wanted to do what, wanted to sing for Him, wanted to testify and preach for Him. And there was no concern about how are we going to survive. We just, and I think it's easier to learn that when you're young. So I'm very thankful to God for putting me in that position. It has served me well through my life, I think. And I'm not, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm bragging. It's not my intention. I'm just sharing out of my own personal experience that it is possible to experience exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then seeing him add to you your needs. When we focus on the physical, the spiritual suffers and it tends to make matters worse. When we focus on the physical, by the way, we're never satisfied. Have you noticed that? I have a friend. I love him dearly. He's a good, godly man. But he really enjoys things. And it's like there's always some new thing. And he has the resources, I guess, to, to do that. But it's just like, you know, and my wife's even more of a minimalist than I am. If she had her way, we'd probably just have a beanbag chair and a couple of TV trays, I guess. (laughs) 
I remember my son Adam, he's a minimalist too. He came home from the military, from the Marines, and he stayed with us for the first year after he got out of the Marines. And one day he goes, you know what? We should just get rid of all the silver. We'll just have one fork, one knife, and one spoon for mom, one for you, one for me. <laughs> Why do we need all these forks and knives and spoons? Well, somebody may come over, you know, and we'll just have one plate, you know. So I guess that's where he gets it from his mother. But by the same token, I don't have any great need to fill up my house with all kinds of stuff. If I have a place to sit, you know, so forth. We get caught up in this stuff, folks. And when we do, it's never enough. There's, we always need a new wall hanging. We always need a new piece of furniture. We always need this. We always need that, right? And then we wonder why we aren't experiencing a more dynamic Christian life. I mean, I've just been so burdened lately. I think Sunday before last, I, I gave a special call for people to come up to be prayed for for healing. Do you remember that? That burden hasn't lifted. I still have that burden. You know, and I think a lot of believers... We, want, we don't doubt God. We don't question God, but we kind of wonder. We read about all this great stuff in the Bible, all the healing and raising from the dead and the casting out of demons. It's all real. It really, and it's still happening in some places. Uh-oh, maybe it's the third world countries again where they don't have anything else to rely upon except for God. Why really take healing seriously when you've got CVS and Walgreens and <laughs> right? And you've got the um, urgent care. Urgent care, where people go for colds and <laughs> really urgent, right? <laughs> I suspect the reason we don't see more of that, there's a lot of fake stuff going on, and I've, I've experienced it. I've been in those churches through the years. There's a lot of fake stuff that goes on. You've seen the guys on TV, the Benny Hens and so forth. There's a lot of fake malarkey and baloney out there. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the real deal. And I suspect one of the reasons we don't see more of the real deal is because we're not doing what Jesus told us to do. We think we are. We're trying to. But are we really? This could be a really interesting year if we would take this stuff seriously. And we need to pray for each other because it's not easy. The flesh has a very strong pull. When we focus on the physical, we are never satisfied. So we have a culture today where all the sexual stuff is thrown in our faces every day, right? And when you focus on that, you're never satisfied. That's why, well, gosh, I'm kind of bored with heterosexuality. I think I'll try homosexuality. I think that's one of the dynamics at play. There are other reasons why people turn to that lifestyle, but I think one of them, particularly in the day and age we're living in, is boredom with the norm. I've been there, done that, you know, sex, love, and rock and roll, baby. You know, free love, that started back in the 60s. Sleep with anybody and everybody. So now I've got to try something new. Now, homosexuality's old hat... So we've got to do transgender. And if you, again, for those who take issue with 
my discussions about politics and voting and so forth, we now have situations where parents are being forced to put their small children through gender transition. Because the child has said, I'm not really a boy, I'm a girl. I want to transition. So I want the hormones, I want the surgery, I want the whole package. And there are certain entities, certain government entities in various places across the United States that are beginning to force that to happen. The only thing standing between these things, the floodgates being opened even more than they already have been, or when believers will stand up for what is right and vote for people who will protect us against these things. And so there's that element within the Christian community, particularly, you know, the seeker-friendly, purpose-driven, blah, blah, blah group that's watering down the gospel who would disagree with what I'm saying. But I'm saying, if you sit back and do nothing while ungodly people are put in public office and are tearing down the godly values this nation was based upon, shame on you. So we do face a tremendous challenge. We don't want our lives to be burdened down with anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. But there are things all around us that could certainly put us in that position. But I still want to get us to that place this morning where we can cast those things aside. One of the ways we do that is by what Jesus says here in the next verse, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean don't think about tomorrow, don't plan. In fact, I'll find myself, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if this works for you. I don't know if you've experienced this. But if I need to remember something, I'm not real good at writing stuff down because I usually lose the piece of paper it's written on. But before I go to bed at night, I'll think, okay, I need to do this, this, and this tomorrow. And I'll kind of plan it in my mind. And I'll say, Father, please help me to remember these things tomorrow. And it works. Any of you experienced that? It actually works. Most of the time. (laughs) Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry. Not only are we not to say what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, Jesus tells us to take one day at a time. That's a challenge, too. But here's what happens. If you have too much concern about what could or might happen tomorrow, next week, next month, and I had a friend like this, too. He was always projecting forward to the worst possible scenario. Next week, next month, next year, it can absolutely paralyze us and prevent us from ever stepping out in faith in any area of our lives. Do you realize that? And I've seen that in so many, the lives of so many believers they're so paralyzed with, by what might happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year that they have no ability to step out in faith and trust God. In addition, we can become so consumed by what lies ahead that we're unable to even deal with what we have on our plate today. That's part of why Jesus is telling this. You get so concerned about what's out there ahead, you can't even deal with what you need to deal with today. Take one day at a time. That's one of the most powerful and dynamic teachings that I think that we could ever receive from our Lord and Savior. He says, and our, our Lord, by the way, doesn't sugarcoat anything. How many of us know that? He speaks the truth in love, but he speaks the truth. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus did not practice positive confession, folks. He told it 
like it is. He's not a pessimist. He's a realist. And he's talking about life here on earth. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You will encounter something. You ever watching a TV program or a movie and things are just going really great and you're thinking there's something bad is about to happen, right? It can't keep going like this. It can't be this good. And you know what? That's because we've experienced real life. And we know that things happen. And Jesus tells us that. Don't get caught up with tomorrow and the next day and the day after because you're going to have some stuff to deal with today. Matthew 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And then he turns right around and says, In the world you'll have tribulation. Really? Where's the peace? Well, he says, Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So no matter what happens in this world, as long as you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, you can have peace in the midst of turmoil, can't you? And that's what a testimony that is. When people see you in the midst of a tumultuous situation and yet you have peace, that speaks volumes to the non-believer and to the weaker believer. We can encourage our weaker brothers and sisters by having peace in the midst of the storm and the non-believer will look at us and say, maybe I need what they've got. This is why Jesus taught us earlier in chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day. Remember how the Israelites tried to store up manna? And you couldn't do it? It would go bad? It's just like that milk in the refrigerator. We got home from our trip, and I wanted something that involved milk. I can't remember what it was now. It might have been a nice hot cup of Ovaltine. How many, do you guys know how good Ovaltine is? It's good stuff. And I smelled it, and I go, uh, it doesn't smell quite right. And I tasted it, and I go, no, this doesn't taste right either. Pour it down the sink. Disappointing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But Jesus said, taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me what I need for today. Not just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Give me what I need for today because that work of God in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit, it's like manna. You can't store it up because God doesn't want us to store it up. He wants us to come to Him every day. See? Because he loves us. He wants to have relationship. He wants to have fellowship. So how do we rid ourselves of worry and alleviate all our anxiety? I've got, I think, three scriptures here to share as we close. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. That's a steering device. So again, he says, Come, I'll give you rest. But that rest occurs when you lock into my yoke, you seek first my kingdom. You submit yourself to me and let me steer your life and control your life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we're to emulate that humility of Christ. We're to submit ourselves to him, but he promises if we will come to him, he will give us rest from that labor and that heavy burden. His yoke, his burden is easy. It is light. Philippians 4, 6. It's always been one of my favorite passages, 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. That's another thing about one of my friends. And I'm, not, I'm that way, but to a much lesser degree. 
Do you ever take comfort in the fact that you're not as bad as the next guy? (laughs) But when we measure it against God's standards, that doesn't work. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But man, I mean, he he can blow a gasket over the smallest thing. I'm not going to go into more details. Uh, I hope he's not watching. Oh, Lord, help me. Be anxious for nothing. And usually it's the little things that really wear us down. It's not the great big things because, man, when the big ones hit, we're on our knees in a, in a heartbeat, aren't we? But the, so the enemy throws all these little things, lost keys, lost wallet. Oh, boy, that's a biggie for me. Lost phone. Usually it's in my pocket. I'm looking all around. Any, any experience that? Hey, guess what? Where are my keys? They were on my belt loop. They're not there now. I think they're in my coat in the back. But see how it goes? Be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice the sequencing here. One, be anxious for nothing. And by the way, this is a choice. Did you realize that? It's a decision. God doesn't wave his magic wand over you and all of a sudden, dancing through life, Fred Astaire of the body of Christ. (laughs) It's a choice. It's a decision to not let these things get to you. And once you make the choice and that decision, then the Spirit of God will help you to do it. Did you know God empowers right choices and good decisions? You don't wait till you feel it. I feel it. You don't wait to feel it. You choose it. You decide it. And then God enables you. He works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. One, be anxious for nothing. Two, in everything, by prayer and supplication, in everything, involve God in absolutely every aspect of your life. Sadly, I think some believers live their lives in such a way that it's like, well, if I need you, God, I'll let you know. That's not the way to do it. We need to involve him in absolutely every aspect of our lives. And as it's been said so often and so well, if you're going somewhere you can't take Jesus with you, then don't go there. In everything, by prayer and supplication, three. Anxious for nothing, everything to God, by prayer and supplication, Supplication means to plead humbly. It's okay to plead with God. As long as you're doing... There's a difference between commanding God and pleading with God. Humbly. Prayer and supplication. We involve Him. How do we involve Him in everything? By staying in constant communication with Him. Fourthly, with thanksgiving. The release of anxiety and the strengthening of our faith in prayer comes as a result of reminding ourselves of all the things God's already done for us. When you start by thanking Him for all that He has done, it's a reminder to you of what He's able to do and what He can do and what He will do. Verse 7, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the areas in which we're most vulnerable, folks. The heart and the mind. They're interconnected, by the way. But where the enemy will attack you is in that thought life, the heart, 
the mind, the thoughts, the feelings, the desires. And God promises to guard our hearts and minds if we will follow this procedure. First of all, we choose to not let these things get to us. We involve God in every aspect of our lives. We involve Him by communicating with Him on a regular basis. And we make sure that we approach Him with thankfulness. The promise is fulfilled as we follow the four steps Paul's just lined out for us. And then finally, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You might think that, you know, self-confidence or self-esteem and pride and those things would guard and protect you from anxiety, but it's actually the exact opposite. Because when you begin to put too much confidence in yourself, too much confidence in the flesh, you're headed for a fall. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time when he knows you're ready for it. And whatever that means to God to exalt you may be different than what you think. But it's in his timing as you humble yourself before him. And then you won't get stressed out. He will exalt you in due time. I didn't get that promotion. This isn't right. This isn't fair. God let me down. No, maybe God would have let you down by letting you get it because you weren't ready for it. You couldn't handle it. He knows best. Father knows best. Amen. Casting how much of your care? All. Does that sound like be anxious for nothing? You think Peter and Paul were listening to the same Holy Spirit? Yes, they were. Casting all your care upon him. He's the only one who can handle it, by the way. I mean, we like to have people we can share with things with. It's good to have a good Christian friend. I've got my friend Brian Davis, Pastor Brian, and we get together every week, and we do just that. But sometimes we try to dump too much, especially when it comes to our spouses or kids, perhaps. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Now, other people care for us, but nobody cares for us like He does. He's the one who died on the cross for us. He's the one who has no selfish self-interest. He has agape love, unconditional love, no strings attached. Cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. He should be for the first person we go to, not the last. For May our New Year's resolution for 2020 be to resist, avoid, deny, and discard all anxiety. Instead, giving everything to God, Jesus and rest in his peace as he guards our hearts and our minds. Does that sound like a good resolution? Let's work together to do that. Let me read these lyrics. Two songs that came to mind, just portions. First one, Chris Christopherson and Mary John Wilkins, One Day at a Time. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. Give me the strength to do everything that I have to do. Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow may never be mine. Help me today, show me the, day, the way one day at a time. Is that good? You might want to print that out. Go on the internet, print it out, put it on your refrigerator. Finally, Keith Green. Just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed. And Jesus takes care of the rest. Yes, the Lord said that he'd take care of the rest. He's going to do it. He'll take care of the rest. He'll see you through it. He'll take care of the rest. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you so much.
that you have promised that if we would seek you, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you'd take care of everything else. That if we would make that determination, that decision to not be anxious for anything, to bring all of our concerns to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that you would guard our hearts and our minds with your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we don't always appropriate your promises to the extent that we should. Help us to do better. Help us to cast all of our cares upon you, Lord, because you care for us. We know other people care, other people love us, but nobody loves us like you do. Lord, help us to go to you first, not last. Help us to be quick to turn to you when things get a little dicey. Lord, help us to honor you by not allowing ourselves to be overcome with anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. Lord, let this be a year of change for each one of us that anxiety would be in our rearview mirror, that we would learn how to walk in the kingdom, to live the kingdom life for your glory. And Lord, we know it's for our benefit too. Your desire, Father, is that we would have joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we dedicate this new year to you. Help us to do better than we've ever done before. Help us to move on towards that high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've promised that you who have begun a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray as we close now, Lord, for those who may need ministry this morning, prayer, maybe regarding the things we've talked about this morning, maybe regarding physical healing, something that's really on all of our hearts today and has been for some time. Lord, we lift up Lawrence Jaramillo and his current physical struggles. We lift up all of those, Lord, who have recently had surgeries, those that are struggling with various illnesses. We pray that you'd pour out your healing oil upon each one. And Lord, we just praise you, thank you, love you. Thank you for another year to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.